Meeting Tom Cruise is a production of the Dan Patrick Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Not only have I met Tom Cruise, but I am your first and only guest who texts with Tom Cruise to tell him about you. Tom Cruise is the greatest movie star of all time. He's the first actor to have six consecutive $100 million grossing films. He's shrouded in mystery, and yet to many is one of the nicest and hardest working people. We love Tom Cruise. We are inspired by Tom Cruise. And while we work in Hollywood, we've never actually met Tom Cruise. So we're going to talk to some people who have. We'll hear some great stories, and maybe, just maybe, one of them one day will lead us to the man himself so that we can have stories of our own. Our own stories of meeting Tom Cruise. Boys, we are going to need a bigger boat for this awesome episode, (laughs) so fasten your seatbelts, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Welcome back, ladies and gents, to the greatest podcast about Tom Cruise, starring two guys and an Alec. My name is Jeff Meacham. I'm your above-average host, and here with me, as always, well, they're my usual suspects. First, he's the brownie to my Mad Mardigan, the Weinberg to my Caffey. Folks, he's none other than the marvelous Mr. Johnstone. Joel, I want the truth. He's here! He's here! He's here! Kevin's here! Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock is here? He's here! I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Okay, okay, okay. Well, okay, let me then them and get to the next. Okay, also with us is the guy, uh, Joel, this is the guy who embodies the feeling we all have when we go to the dentist for a cleaning. Mm -hmm. He's the Dubai sandstorm that we can't get out of our eyes. He's Mr. Alec Lev. (laughs) Alec, Alec, hey, I've been meaning to ask you, Joel, ready for this? Alec, what's your favorite scene from The Karate Kid? Oh, I haven't seen The Karate Kid. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he the worst? And also, I'm I'm not going to. Joel, easy, easy, easy. Look at poor Joel. <laughs> All right. So, guys, I've been thinking about Tom Cruise this week. and um, Get out of town. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Guys, I re-listened to the uh, Top Gun pod that we did, and you're going to hate me for what I'm about to say. Oh, my God, Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how Jeff spends his weekends, <laughs> listening to himself. <laughs> not, <laughs> and really thinking about, listen, listen, guys, I was yeah. not happy with it. I think we what? still, I, this is, I love that. What are you listen, talking about? I love that movie so much. And we still, it felt like we still took a dump on it at times. And, and that doesn't make me happy. Can I, can I, can I just pause for a second and tell the audience the truth? I just want them yeah. to know we recorded four different versions yeah. of that podcast. That's why I'm crazy right now. That's why I feel crazy because I just, it means that movie means so much to me. It, it, it is it, the identify. It is the, it is the code on my DNA that makes me me. And so for me to even take any kind of poo on it makes me sad. Fine. You've got two minutes, Jeff. Try tell us why do you love Top Gun? Can you talk about why you love a certain piece of art? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I can. When I look at it, it makes me happy. What kind of a question is that? Yeah, no. Okay, okay. Can, can, I, can I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff? I, this is my spin on what you're saying. Go for it. We're not taking a dump on it. We are looking at a movie that we grew up with as boys, now looking at it through the lens of middle-aged men. Okay, I take offense. I take offense to the fact that you say we're middle-aged. Uh, we're young 40s. We're in the prime of our life. We're the same age as Tom Brady. We are viral, viral. What's the word? Viral? 
Vi- viral? Just going to let you hang. Just going to let you have that one, Jeff. Virusy? Are we virusy? <laughs> Guys, once again, Jeff, here you are. Here's your moment. This is why we had to do it four times. Okay, then both of you, be quiet. Both of you, here we go. Let's go. Why do you love Top Gun? <laughs> because when I would watch it with my friends, it meant, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I quit. <laughs> I quit. It just... I quit. Jeff, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a little something. We did get an email. Uh, you can write to us at contact at meetingtomcruise.com. I want to thank... Um, oh, his name is Jeff also. I want to thank Jeff for writing in. It was me. It was me. It was- <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought, too. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff really wanted to boost our rating, so he wrote one. Okay. So for those of you who haven't heard... Those of you who haven't suffered through... Our Top Gun deep dive. <laughs> uh, Jeff said that we never know who the bad guys are, but we pointed out that they're flying MiGs and that MiGs were Soviet planes that the bad guys are clearly meant to be Soviets. But now, Internet Jeff writes to us and he says they reference the MiG-28 as the plane that the F-14 goes against, but never actually say which country they belong to and that MiGs are Russian F- aircraft. Yeah. But keep in mind that Russia sells military aircraft and equipment to other countries. Oh! Based off based off the insignia on the MiGs and Top Gun, it's believed they could be Chinese or North Korean. It was New Zealand aircraft. I was ro- So I wasn't wrong. New Zealand tried to wage war against America. That's what Top Gun's really about. That's exactly right. I don't think you heard what I said. Okay. Well, no, no, it's not. No, no, they're they're Russian. They're Russian. They didn't seem Russian, though. They didn't didn't fly Russian-y. They looked a little bit more North (laughs) Korean-y. You didn't hear the the Moscow men's choir, the... I just watched Crimson Tide. No, it's not Crimson Tide. Which one's the one when the sub goes underwater and they're all actually singing? Hunt for Red October. Oh. You were right about that, Joel. They do not mess around. They're like, we're from Russia, and we sing all day. Joel, do you notice that still he can't spend more than five seconds attempting to say <laughs> that he loves this movie? I mean, it'll make honestly. I'm not kidding. It, it would. I believe that if I tried to really get to the root of how much I love this movie, because it it, it it identifies so much of my experience in high school, which were some of the best years of my life with my best friends that I made. And we watched this movie on loop. It just, it means too much to me to actually, uh, in combination with the fact that I'm not a critic. So I don't have a very good skill at being like, I think this movie's good because X, Y, and Z. I just love it to my core. And that's, there you that's go. The- that's good. Keep going. Keep going. Why do you love this movie? I love this movie because it is synonymous with Tom Cruise and Top Gun and Tom Cruise are one. They are, they are, they are each other. They, they, they breeded together. Their, their, their RNA and DNA did this, the dysymbiosis. Well, I'm just making up words that I don't know. They are the singularity. They are the singularity. Nobody can see your fingers interlacing together. Nobody can see Did you guys know in Tenet that that was a symbol? Did you guys see Tenet? This is Jeff Meacham's mind, ladies and gentlemen. Is it a mind? You say one word and it goes, oh, bunny. (laughs) My favorite character in all Pixar films is Doug the dog. Squirrel? Squirrel. Is my favorite character (laughs) in all Pixar. (laughs) That's Jeff. That's Jeff. Jeff is Doug the dog from Up. All right. Take us out here, Jeff. Last words. Last words on Top Gun. Talk to me, Goose. (laughs) (laughs) See? It makes Joel cry. Okay, we're done. We will not talk about Top Gun again for four more episodes. All right. All right. I'm so excited because Joel Johnstone got us Kevin Pollack. Kevin Pollack. The Kevin Pollack is here. I'm freaking out. All right. So, Alec, hit us with the question of the week then. All right. 
Okay. What do we got? Uh, this week, the question of the week is, who is your favorite of Tom Cruise's muses? Oh. Ooh, oh. the Cruise muse. No. <laughs> so, Jeff, who is your fa- who's your favorite leading lady in a Tom Cruise film? Well, I made a list. I have a top five, and it, it's a very important topic. No, Jeff, shut up. Let's get to Kevin. You know what? You're right. Rebecca DeMornay, she can wait. We got to get to Kevin Pollack. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, when I was nine years old, Willow was my favorite movie. When I was 13 years old, A Few Good Men was my favorite movie. When I was 16 years old, The Usual Suspects was my favorite movie. When I was 16 and a half years old, (laughs) Casino was my favorite movie. You know what? One person links all of these movies. The list goes on and on. And if that weren't enough, ladies and gentlemen, he can currently be seen as the always hilarious Moish Maisel on Amazon's award-winning The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, might have mentioned that one before. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the forever entertaining Kevin Pollack. Thank you so much for being here. You have no idea how much this means to us. Like, Well, I, I've heard every episode, so I do have an idea. <laughs> that means wow. the world. That means the I world. Mean, yeah. And just to be clear, you, you have met Tom Cruise. Just want to, we just have a checklist here. <laughs> if that's... Not only have I met Tom Cruise, but I am your first and only guest who texts with Tom Cruise to tell him about you. (sighs) Kevin, I can't tell you when you texted me to tell me that text happened. Like I, (laughs) I was excited when my son was born, but (laughs) we have to show you our text or our, we do Marco Polo's to each other because that's what guys over 40 do. And we send these video messages to each other and we both got emotional. Like we legitimately, like we went from the range of being like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And then I like looked at my wife and I started to tear up and I was like, oh, this is real. These are real feelings that are happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. And she wasn't used to seeing that at all. No, 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 no. I'm I'm stone cold usually. And again, I only know you from this podcast. But I will say that while I can't guarantee Tom didn't know about the podcast prior, he certainly didn't indicate that he did. But he was um he thought it was incredibly cool. I don't you know, it was a a text exchange that went on for a couple of days about other things as well. But um he now knows about you all. This yeah. is it's getting weird. Jeff, th- Kevin, Jeff Kevin. this is getting weird. Yeah. This is, yep. I think yep. we're doing this. Yeah. This is happening. Um, Kevin, this is how we usually start our podcast. Tell me about your life from birth to the moment you met Tom Cruise <laughs> in a quick period of time. I mean, all of that information is online or in my book, How I Slept My Way to the Middle. Um, <laughs> not just a funny title and technically still available on Amazon. Um, you know, I was a typical class clown. I was natural born ham performing by 10 lip syncing a comedy album, which my mom caught me doing and said, you're doing that for the Zookers at Passover. So my first stage was a white painted fireplace, uh, <laughs> foot and a half elevation that I performed for 20 very enthusiastic Jews. <laughs> um and then I performed at all the school functions with this act of lip syncing this comedy album and then eventually started doing impersonations and then um, was performing in nightclubs doing comedy by the time I was 17 and uh, rose to the top of the comedy scene in San Francisco by 1982 and then moved to L.A. in 83 and then went on to about 200 auditions where they ultimately said, how about anyone but you is going to get this? <laughs> <laughs> um, wasn't enough to be rejected. They had to be very specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, started 
getting a few things and um and then got super lucky uh i was doing a a summer series in 1990 we had just invented fire they they had <laughs> no original programming on during the summer time so to do a series in the summer was called a summer series so it was six weeks rob reiner and christopher guest had created this show it's called morton and hayes and um should never been on cbs i might have had a shot on cable but um i i was having lunch with Rob every day. And one day he said, you know, my next film I'm directing is was a very successful Broadway play called A Few Good Men. And I think uh, I have Tom Cruise to play the, the lead. And I think I'm going to get Jack Nicholson to play the the colonel. And there's this part of Tom's co-counsel and friend that you're perfect for. If I, I have an offer out to Jason Alexander, but if Seinfeld gets picked up for season two, he won't be available. Now... This was at a time when Seinfeld was the Seinfeld Chronicles. Right. Only four episodes had aired on a Friday night. And it wasn't a hit, right? It was not a hit. 97 people had seen it. <laughs> uh, most of them worked on the show. Couldn't even crack 100. <laughs> so there was, there was more likelihood that Jason Alexander would be Sam Weinberg at that mm-hmm. point. Right. Um, until... Um, I went home and prayed for both Jason and my success. <laughs> and uh, I clearly got what I wanted because um, Seinfeld made history, as did, uh, dare I say, a few good Jews, uh, men. So um, <laughs> do you even remember that moment when Seinfeld got picked up and you knew you were in? I, I, I think it's fair to say that I cared more than everyone who worked on Seinfeld. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I I'm not imagine. exaggerating. I'm not yeah. exaggerating. I'm sure they all wanted it, but... <laughs> Nowhere near as much as I wanted to be co-counsel and friend to Tom Cruise's character oh my God. in the uh, in the 500 plus performance play A Few Good Men. Did you, did you audition with Tom? Rob was very, um, you know, here I was starring in this TV show for him. And again, if I a show that no one saw, but if I hadn't been working on that and in Rob's face at that moment in time when he was because he'd already cast the role with Jason Alexander, but he was. Suddenly facing this, oh, shit, what happens if Jason's not available, you know? And um, there I was. So he said, when Seinfeld got picked up, okay, so I want you to do this, um, but I I think it's a good idea if you come in and, you know, meet with me and Tom and just sort of shoot the shit. And if we end up doing a scene, if that's something that happens, it may not. I said, Rob, whatever you would like me to do is (laughs) is what's going to happen. So we met in his office, and Tom, um, as is his character, within, I don't know, conservatively, 3.9 seconds, we were old, dear friends, hmm. and uh, couldn't have been more gracious and inviting in terms of my place in this world that he, you know, is. And um, we did end up running a scene, which, uh, you know, I got him to laugh. I don't remember, what, I don't even remember what the scene was, but... I remember I made him laugh, and when it was over, he was, you know, punching me in the shoulder and and uh, enthusiastic. Uh, you know, it was it was the whole thing from Rob at lunch in his trailer to driving to his office to have this, what I knew would be maybe the most important meeting ever. Because you know, as an actor, again, having gone through the couple hundred of auditions of. Yeah, right. no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thank you. And then really telling you why. 
Yeah, exactly. I'd already died in Denzel Washington's arms in Ricochet, spoiler alert. Um, you know, I'd done a few things. I'd worked with a few stars. Um, I'd done Avalon, arguably Barry Levinson's masterpiece. But I had not, you know, been in the Tom Cruise universe. And and as this podcast likes to point out, it kind of changes everything. And it's it's instantly more valuable than everything that came before it. And uh, And also, this was a job that was clear to certainly my representation i would go from auditioning to getting offers and that ended up being true it was the goal line mm. crossing this was the job that changed everything for you yeah i mean the film was a juggernaut success but also you know i'm surrounded by major stars i'm like where's waldo in this cast you know <laughs> so that was a ridiculous moment in one's career but in one's life you know i heard a story about a rehearsal for this, a table read. And I, tell, t t please tell me what that was like. Because this will be the first one that we do where I know Joel and I are going to both, of course, obsessively nerd about Tom Cruise. But then there's this, then there's Zeus in the room as well. Yeah. What was that like being around Jack <laughs> yeah. and that first table read? So the table read is in a giant soundstage, which is empty. Just uh, as many tables as it makes to, to form a giant horseshoe with squared edges for maybe 40 people. You know, it's, it's the first time everyone's together. And so there was quite a bit of, hey, how are you? Nice to see you. And then I, I, I just remember at the far end, a good, what seemed like 100 yards is probably only 100 feet. The giant soundstage doors open and, and in the doorway there is a silhouette. <laughs> and you know who it is. Oh, God, it's Jack Nicholson, isn't it? I would have been like, is that Jack Nicholson? And that's why, and that's why you weren't invited. Sorry, my bad. Go on, go on. Go, go, go. <laughs> and he comes in and he sits and he says hello to everyone he knows, which isn't everyone, certainly not me. And then he takes a seat and then Rob Reiner stands up. And, you know, for me, comedian my whole life, I will not go out of my way to make small talk with Jack Nicholson, nor did I while we worked together. But, oh boy, the comedian in my brain couldn't wait to find the moment to make Jack laugh where right. it wouldn't come off like I was trying to make Jack laugh. So, right. shockingly, it comes early. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Reiner stands in front of 40 people in, 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 in this, what will be a historic moment for many of us. The, the table read and he said and he gives a pretty impassioned speech about how exciting it is for him and us to get to this point but also that this is um this is really for fun this is not for notes the, the script is locked he's not looking for performance level it's just to really enjoy this incredibly momentous occasion as part of the entire production so so damn it have fun you know he, but he, it, it seemed like he went on for about 15 minutes. If someone clocked it and said, hey, it was only nine, that's fine. But it, it seemed like a solid 15, enough for me to formulate the joke. So he says, so that's, that's, uh, that's all I have to say. Let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's begin. And as he's seating in this quiet, silent room, I say, and you are... <laughs> so not only did everyone laugh but but jack definitely laughed and i oh, would find great. out later that as much as i thought he would be aloof you know he was already cool to five generations by the time i met him and i i thought in order to be that cool you know he's never done a television talk show ever ever, ever. is that true 
That's completely what? true. And he's only given I did not know that. three or four interviews in print. So you're saying us getting him is going to be a stretch. <laughs> I'm probably saying you're you're not going to get him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably you. a little more definitive than the stretch. <laughs> oh, dare you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's that time. Can we please talk about Tom Cruise? <laughs> I would love to. Great. Yeah, I have I have I have go. So many stories. <laughs> oh, but aren't we mean? We've got to take a little break, and we will be back with those stories in just a moment. By the way, we are excited to announce that later this week, we will release our first bonus episode, which we're calling Meeting Jack Nicholson, and where you'll get to hear Kevin Pollock's incredible tales of working with Jack on A Few Good Men. Why, here's a quick preview of that right now. I'll rip out your eyes and piss in your dead skull. <laughs> I don't remember the exact lines. <laughs> so just make sure you've subscribed to Meeting Tom Cruise and the bonus episode will magically pop up in your feed in just a few days. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kevin and Tom. And we're back with Kevin Pollack. So many stories. So one of the things I you, you take instant regard of is a level of professionalism, but also generosity, which is why the Penn story is so goddamn important. Uh, <laughs> yes, then you, you, if you don't mind, please. I mean, it yeah, really it, is crucial to get to the epicenter, yeah, the chi. Yeah. Take yeah. us in. We're, yeah, we're, we're yeah. at so, a Beatles concert. Give us twist and shout. I mean, I have to. I was at an event once where I literally walked up to you and was just like, hey, man, I'm a huge fan of the Penn story. And you were like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was, one, it was one of those like Emmy events or something. And it was sure. 1130 at night and you're leaving. And I was like, and I'm next to my wife. And I was like, I got it. I'll be right back. I got to go. And just chased you down. It was right. also something of a launching pad of this podcast. <laughs> the idea that there are some crazy Tom Cruise stories out there. This was always like the pen story. We're like, yeah, this could yeah. be a thing. Oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah. Telling people about when we would use that as an example of like, what do you mean stories? I was like, let me tell you about the pen. And, you know, so it's <laughs> absolutely. I'm uh, so I'm at I'm a, it's it's the first couple days of rehearsal. I can't believe I'm there to a level that is understandable, but still not. I'm not able to explain. There is a sense of, um, even within a nanosecond of being made to feel welcome. In fact, Tom has so easily, not gone out of his way, just easily made me feel like I belong. And, um, and I have an equal say on everything. That after just a couple of hours, I feel as though I can give shit to Tom Cruise hmm. about whatever I want. That's how, if I were to try to explain how comfortable I've been made to feel. Right. So when I see him making a note in his script after rehearsing a beat, and then that's what you do, you go to your script and make a note so you remember it later. He's using a pen that I would describe as a Mont Blanc on steroids. It is a, <laughs> it is a, a large uh, a black pen that uh, you want a giant movie star to be using, <laughs> but it's, it's just big enough that, and I've been made comfortable enough so that these two Venn diagram has met. And I say to Tom, they don't make a bigger pen. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet we could find one. <laughs> and he laughs the first 11 times I give him shit about the pen. He's got a great laugh, as you know. 
And then finally, he says, yeah, yeah, hilarious. On the 12th time, I gave him shit about the pen. Here, he says, write with the pen. And I take the pen and I, Tom, seriously, it's a pen. I mean, what is the, oh, the pen is like an angel wing floating on a cloud it seems to have its own suspension system the 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 ink center is housed in a unit that was not crafted on this earth i mean it really is it's ridiculous. The pen tried to go down on me at one point. I'm trying to make it clear how important and amazing yeah. the pen is. That's, okay. That's a hell of so, a pen. So Demi has seen me giving him shit about the pen, but now she sees me fascinated by the pen because you, you just instantly become, what is this? Yeah. And so she, now she wants to know more about the pen. But this is 1991. There's no Google. She has to send people out on horseback to gather information <laughs> about this pen. They come back and read from a scroll. Uh, turns out the pen was made in Paris, France for Barney's of New York. There was only one Barney's of New York in New York right. at the time. There was no Barney's of New York outlets at the edge of every town. It was just the one. The pen, also, not just from Paris, France, cost $500. Oh, well, $500 is the exact number that tells me I will never own this pen. <laughs> I don't give a shit what happens after a few good men. I'm not buying $500 pens. Right. That's not happening. So now yeah. the pen is dead to me. Yeah. For the same reason that I don't go to strip clubs or window shop. If I can't have it, man, yeah. Yeah. dead to me. I mean, I yeah. lose interest faster than I gained it. And, uh, and it's over in a heartbeat. Two weeks later, sitting in my trailer on the set, we're shooting the movie, knock at the door, open it up. There's the assistant, hands me a wrapped gift. This is from Tom. I open it up. It's one of these pens. Oh, God. Jesus Love Christ. It. And we, we, didn't, we hadn't spoken about the pen in two weeks. So I'm, of course, uh, blown away, but also... I go to, I, I immediately went to his trailer, knocked on the door. He opens it up and I say, Tom, and I'm holding the pen, which by the way, comes in a uh, rectangle. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh my God. We're seeing Teak. the rectangle. This is, the, we're, we're seeing the housing people. This is Box. the Is that from the Da Vinci Code? Can you get in there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, Look at this. this. So I'm holding every, every this time, box. Every time he just opened it, Angel's just saying. That's right. <laughs> I'm holding this box and I'm wag waving it in his face saying, Tom, this is amazing, but I've known you like three weeks. You need to talk to someone. This isn't right. Because <laughs> I feel it's so over the top, you know. And he says, yeah, yeah, no, I know you love the pen. So later that day, I'm making a note in my script and um, with a different pen. And Tom sees me and he says, Kev, where's the pen? And I looked at him and said, oh, Tom. Oh, <laughs> oh Tom. you're cute. <laughs> Tom, I can't use the pen. No, the pen goes on the mantle in my house with a special pen light hitting it just right. People come over my house, Tom, and I will point to the pen. And I will tell them the greatest pen story they've ever heard. <laughs> 
No, Tom, I can't use the pen because if I use the pen, that means I might lose the pen. And that can never happen. (laughs) So that was a Jewish thing. And I'm not sure he got it on all the Jewish levels because it was a very Jewish thing. There's no way this pen can ever be. It's not even a pen anymore. It's a story. It's a monument. He gives me shit about not using the pen for several days. I, he just—it's just a matter. Of, he just—he just laughs and says, "I cannot believe you're not using the pen." And I said, "Tom, I will never use the pen, <laughs> ever. I—I I will be the proudest owner of the pen, more so than you, dare I say. But it's not being used." Two weeks later, sitting in my trailer, knocking the door, open it up. There's the assistant, similarly wrapped gift, and he says to me as he hands it over, "Tom wants you to use the first pen." <laughs> <laughs> If you come to my house, there are two pens on my mantle. Uh, We're seeing two pens. Which one gets used? Which one gets used? (laughs) Well, there's one that I use every single day, and I travel with it. I mean, it really is. Look at the size. Look at the balance. It'll float. Hold on a second. Give me just a second. (laughs) uh, It's it's not going to float. It's a pen. It's a good pen. Not that good. Um, I'm sorry. I am am gullible. Now, I'm going to let Joel speak to... That suspension system, I did let him write with the pen at a table reader for, for Maisel. <gasps> Joel Johnstone! If you're listening, Tom, it's not bullshit. He uses it all the time. He, it was at our last table read. I, I was <sighs> sitting there marking up my script <clears throat> right before our table read, and I get a, I get a knock. I'm like, I'm going to show that I look over. I didn't even see Kevin. I just see the pen. You just heard the angel singing. <laughs> did you know? Did you know it was uh, the pen without knowing? Instantly. You knew it. It's huge. Well, it's huge. Well, once he saw my hand and face attached to the pen. Yes. Yes. Then there was and, no question which uh, pen. Yeah. And there was nothing out of Kevin's mouth other than write with it. Write with it. Use it. And he's right. Like you have, you don't have to press at all. All you have to do is move your hand. It moves itself. It, it just, <laughs> it, you just have to take care of you. The pen takes care of itself. So, so here's the crazy thing. The pen is 30 years old this year. The refill, I do use it every day. The refills are $1,500. That son of a bitch got me. <laughs> No, thanks to the internet, the refills are about $3. Uh, <laughs> guys, we should make a podcast about people who have met Tom Cruise and have crazy <laughs> stories to tell. Because that is a good story. I told that story for the first time in public at when the Friars uh, honored Tom, not knowing how the story would go over uh, with a live audience, let alone with Tom. And sure enough, afterwards, he... He just kept saying, I can't believe you still have the pen. Because <laughs> at that point, it had probably been 20 years. Mm. And he was just shocked that I had. I said, Tom, I have them both. The other ones at home, it will never leave my house. And then the next morning at the hotel, when I wake up, there's a message and I check. And there, the same pen wasn't available, but there was a brand new Mont Blanc special whacked out <laughs> pen set from Tom with a card saying, it feels like you needed a new pen. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, this is incredible. Okay. Um, so I would love to hear about those moments on set that really only you get to see. You know what I mean? Like, take us deep 
like super deep behind the scenes with you and Tom. A quick moment of Tom and Jack in the. <laughs> oh, I'm having a Tom and Jack baby right now. <laughs> this is happening. You're going to talk about Tom and Jack, aren't you? You're going to talk about Tom and Jack. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm freaking out. Okay. Give me a second. Okay. I'm ready. I'm not ready. I'm ready. Go. Um, in the, you can't handle the truth moment. So the camera is set up. Heard of it. Uh, uh, over Jack's right shoulder, shooting his POV as Tom is coming in for the kill. I want the truth. And as Tom is slowly advancing and getting closer to Jack, and they're pretty toe-to-toe in the end, and the camera is here. Jack Jack would put his face right up next to the box. Oh, you know? God. He was right in there. I see what you're saying. So the camera is pointed right at Tom Cruise, but Jack Nicholson's got his head like right next to the camera. So we as the audience can't see Jack, but Tom's looking right at Jack, and the camera's right there. Right. I got you. And as Jack, as Tom is coming in, very first take, saying that dialogue, and, you know, this is Tom's close-up, so you know what's happening in terms of his performance. It's, it's, it's magic, it's riveting, it's happening, the very first take, and the whole time Jack's neck to the, to the box looking at him, Jack's doing this. He's making, like, deranged pumpkin faces. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and you can see it all from probably from where you're seated, right? Because he's coming. Oh, God, yes, you could see it. We're, yeah. we're, only, we're only probably 20 feet. Our our right. desk our desk to the stand. So, oh, you can see it. He's being ridiculous. Tom stays in the pocket, throws the perfect pass. They finish the take. Rob yells, "Cut!" Tom starts busting out laughing. He cannot believe Jack did this to him. I think he hits Jack in the shoulder. Also, this is the enthusiasm and the celebration of this moment. Right, and everyone just loses their minds laughing because maybe on the seventh take. <laughs> right. Let him get a couple under his belt. Yeah. But the fact that he knew Tom would stay in the pocket and, and wouldn't falter was part of why he, I think, felt comfortable messing with him to that degree. I mean, it really was right. a Looney Tunes clown face he was making as Tom was coming in. So he never got a moment without that face. So the the iconic "I want the truth." No, just the first or take. just that take. Just oh, that just the first take. take. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would have been—it's crazy to think the most iconic line he says. No, this from the is the movie. guy who loves to act and gives 100 percent off camera. Right. Who on right. that particular take, as Tom came in for his close-up, decided I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with the boy's head, see if he can stay in the pocket. <laughs> We've got to fit in one more quick break here. We'll be back with Kevin and his mission to have Tom Cruise help him get an impossible to get new car. And before we get back to Kevin, we just want to thank everyone who's been listening to this podcast and a special shout out to everyone for whom this is your very first experience with meeting Tom Cruise. And we've got, God help us, many more stories to tell. And we really do need your help to get the word out. The best and easiest way to help out, and as I'm contractually bound to say to join Tom's crew, is if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do rate and review the show. The more you do that, the more the show gets featured, and the easier it is for folks to find us. Again, thank you so much. Once again, Kevin Pollack. So uh, around the same time that we're doing A Few Good Men, I am uh, I'm uh, prepping to do 
my first uh, hour-long HBO stand-up special. And the great comedian and director, David Steinberg, who's done a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm as a director, and he directed me on the backstage stuff. We had decided to do some some bits. At the end of it, I wanted to make fun of how you would see a play or a moment in a film of a play where someone would be presented with roses from the front audience at, at curtain call at the bow. And I said, I, I, I want to come, you know, come back out for the bow and then um, have someone hand me some roses from the front, but I want to keep topping that. So after the roses, um, I want someone to come out and hand me like a briefcase full of money. And then I, I bow or whatever. And then I want another person to come out and put a cape and a crown on me. And then that's another moment. And then I want a guy to come out with a headset on who looks like a stagehand to literally rip off his right arm and hand it to me. <laughs> um, and then the very last beat would be the back curtains would open after the voice of God says, and a brand new car. And then a car would roll out with a model on the hood. And that would be with a bow on it. And that would be the last beat. So, at that moment in time in 91, 92, the, the Lexus two-door coupe, the brand new Lexus two-door coupe was impossible to get. It was so instantly popular. There was a 90-day waiting list and they were selling it for over a sticker. And so I thought, you know, if I, if I use that car in my special, maybe I could jump past the 90-day waiting list, right? Because I really, really, really wanted that car. And that was going to be the treat from the money I was making on a few good men, blah, blah, blah. So I start calling around dealerships around Los Angeles, uh, asking for the general manager and saying, hi, my name is Kevin Pollack. I'm uh, doing the stand-up comedy special for HBO, and I want to use the car and put it on, the, on, on stage and highlight it and feature it, and I'll, I'll give thanks to you and your dealership in the credits. And I own the special back then in 92. You would own your own stand-up special. You know, it'll, it'll live in perpetuity, I would tell the general manager. I can assure, I can promise you that. And at the end of my sales pitch, invariably, the GM would say, and I quote, sounds great. Um, I'm sorry, who are you again? Because <laughs> uh, a few good men, we were shooting it. My name did not register over the phone in any way, shape or form. And they each and every time. So every dealership said, yeah, geez, gosh, it sounds great. But I just I can't. Uh, I know, but all I want to do is jump past the three month waiting list and, and sell it to me at at list price instead of over list price. That's it. That's all you got to do. Uh, you know what? 500 bucks for the salesperson above list. And every time, you know, I, I can't keep the car in stock. I don't, I, I don't have the car. I've got, I've got a list out the door. People who want this car. That's what a 90 day waiting list means. Kevin was it? <laughs> so the very last place I called was in Tustin, the outer borough of Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> And I go through the paces, same thing. And I feel it's coming that moment at the end of the conversation, the sales pitch where the GM's going to say, I'm sorry, who are you? And it's sure enough, it comes. And now I've just had it, right? I'm broken. It's the last one in the phone book. Phone book was a stack of paper. Yeah. And it would list uh, sure. businesses. <laughs> he says, I'm sorry, who are you? And again, I'm broken. So I just say, well, here's the thing. I'm working on this movie right now called A Few Good Men. You haven't heard of it because we're shooting it now. It was a very famous Broadway play. But anyways, it's Tom Cruise, Jack Nichols. And, and I'm thinking that you, you could deliver the car yourself and you could meet Tom Cruise and Jack Nichols. Uh, that, that, 
That's who I am. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> to, to answer your question, who am I? That's who I am. I'm the guy working with those two and Demi Moore and Kevin Bacon. I don't know if they'll be there that day. Anyways, and the guy does a 180 and says, how's Monday? Brilliant. It's disgusting and brilliant all at the same time. I say, I want, I want blue with tan interior. He says, uh, let me look. How's Monday? <laughs> and I know Tom's a car guy. And I got to get Tom to meet the guy. And I'm a little too sheepish to come out and say, hey, I made a deal based on meeting you. So I, But I know he's a car guy and he's going to want to see the car. So a little white lie, I just leave the part out where I sold him to get a deal on the car. Um, Smart. Smart. But, but I know if I, when I tell him after the fact, he'll, he'll laugh and punch me in the shoulder. Yeah. Sure enough, I tell Tom, I, <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had video. It was maybe the best performance I gave in the entire filming of the movie <laughs> when I say to Tom, hey, uh, you know, super casual at lunch or whatever. Hey, have you seen the new Lexus Coupe? Oh, yeah, man, the top, that car's incredible. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you're talking about the two-door, right? The 400? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting that car. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, the, the, the guy's delivering it to the lot on Monday. Get, get out of here. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. You have to let me drive it. Tom, you can drive it first. I say. <laughs> uh, damn near completing the hustle. Smart. Yeah, you can drive it first. Yeah, the GM's uh, said he'd be here at one o'clock on Monday with the car. And Tom just wants to talk about the car the rest of the day's work. Um, I don't know how he slept over the weekend because when he comes in on Monday, the first thing out of his mouth is, what time's the car get here? One o'clock. Oh, my God. Now... I don't know how I'm going to work Jack into it. And I think once we have Tom, I don't know that that's going to matter. First thing in the morning, when's the car get here? It comes at one o'clock. 11.45. Dun, 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 dun. Knock on my trailer. Open the door. It's car here? No, Tom. One o'clock. Okay. Sorry, man. <laughs> 12.30. Dun, 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 dun. It's car here? No, no, no. It's uh, it's one o'clock. I uh, know, but I thought he might be here early. Yeah, me too. But he, he's not here yet. Okay. Let me know, buddy. 12.55. Yeah, no, he's... <laughs> Still not here. Uh, now I'm outside. Now I'm outside waiting for the guy to show up. At about close to 10 after 1, I see the car drive onto the lot. And I am so happy for a million reasons. Yeah. And I'm walking towards the car with the biggest grin I can physically uh, create. And running past me, I see out of my peripheral is Tom <laughs> running past me to the car. And I think this is going well <laughs> until Tom gets to the car, opens the door for the GM and says, you're late. Where you been? That's the first thing he says to the GM, who has had an hour to think what he's going to say when he meets Tom Cruise. Right. right. And now I'm thinking, Tom, don't blow the deal. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's not actually angry. He's just enthusiastic. Mm, right. But he is in the GM's grill about being late. Oh, and the GM is just sort of cowering at the movie star saying, why are you late? And I hear the GM as I'm approaching saying, well, the, the, there was traffic. 
<laughs> to which Tom replies, you got to allow for traffic. What time did you leave? And I'm thinking, oh, Tom, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> Tell me the route you took. I yeah, know. Exactly. Olympic is clearly yeah. at this time of day. I mean, we're right off the 10. We're in Culver. <laughs> so uh, the guy gets out of the car. It's it's big shoulder slaps. And Tom is studying the car like it's it's a newborn child and it's his. And, and, and he's instantly enamored and in love with the car and is the first one to sit behind the wheel because I insist. Yeah. And uh, the GM has given me the keys at this point. I hand the keys to Tom. The GM and I both get in the car and pre-Days of Thunder uh, learn what Tom can do behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, man. No, his driving skills are legendary. This is Days of Thunder cold trickle driving. Yeah. This is unbelievable. I mean, we could go on forever, but I can't thank you enough I, for doing this. I, Joel, I am Kevin. This is I, a dream I, come true that I, made this happen. I thank you from the bottom of my heart, from all our hearts. Uh, you, 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 have, you have made our dreams come true today. <laughs> you have no idea how much that means to us. Yeah. Oh, I think I do. <laughs> As I said, I've heard every episode, so I, I get it. <laughs> all right. Well. That was uh, quite the incredible interview. And just so that you all know, you've got more Kevin Pollack coming. Lucky in a, you. In, yeah. In a, in, a, in a future episode, there there's even more meeting Tom Cruise from Kevin Congratulations Pollack. to you, listener. <laughs> Damn right. Um, <laughs> now, uh, we've started to get some, some great reviews coming in on Apple Podcasts. And we really want everyone to rate us and write those reviews. It does help the show get noticed more. Even when you hate us. And so we got a fantastic one-star review. Ooh. And I, I, it's the kind of view where you assume he could have, he, he wanted to give us zero stars, but because he doesn't feel like he even likes us a fifth of the way. Right. Like he right. really wishes it was zero. Right. right. 20% seems too high. Right. <laughs> right. So Jaffo 2019, and thanks for listening, says, I couldn't make it through two episodes of these guys gushing and yanking each other as they talk about a very fine actor, but nothing more. <laughs> I really want to hear what you guys have to say. Personally, I love that he queued up meeting Tom Cruise, listened to the first episode where we talk about nothing but Tom Cruise, <laughs> and then started listening to the second episode. And he was like, wait a minute. Is this <laughs> all about Tom Cruise? <laughs> and I'm so sorry. Is is his name Jackhole? What did you say it was? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Meeting Tom Cruise is hosted by Jeff Meacham, Joel Johnstone, and me, Alec Lev. My name's Jackal, and uh, let me tell you right now, when I listen to Meeting Tom Cruise and all they talk about is Tom Cruise, and listen, they really led me astray. It's also produced by the same Alec Lev. This is one Jackal who thinks you're a Jackal. Our executive producers are Doug Matica and Dan Patrick. Did he say that we janked each other off or yanked each other off? Our engineer and mixer is Alex Reeves for Point of Blue Studios. That's really irresponsible for him to think that we're janking each other off when there's COVID going on right now. We can't do that. Editing by Alec Lev with additional editing by Alex Reeves. You can't, you can't social distance and, 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 and jank. Our music is by H. Scott Salinas and Matthew Atticus Berger. No, that's definitely less than six feet. You know what I mean? More like six inches. Oh. <laughs> Artwork by Rebecca Montoya. Executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella for Workhouse Media. But to but to say Tom Cruise is just a very fine actor? Jeff is a very fine actor. Tom Cruise is the greatest movie star on the planet. We are a production of Meeting So-and-So. 
in association with Workhouse Media. Joel, also, thank you for calling me a very fine actor. I think I am just above mediocre, so thank you. That means a lot. Find us online at Meeting Cruise on Instagram and Twitter. Check out our website and show notes at meetingtomcruise.com. And you can email us at contact at meetingtomcruise.com. Thank you, buddy. You know what? You too. Thank you. But I'm no Tom Cruise. No, no, no. We're no Tom Cruise. No way. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Five stars are much appreciated. And write a review. It really helps people to find the show, and we just might read it on the air. Meeting Tom Cruise was created by Jeff Meacham and Alec Lev. So thanks, Jeff, though, for the review. Meeting Tom Cruise is a production of the Dan Patrick Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. I have no responsibilities here whatsoever.